energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now, I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I missed you all. I missed you all. I mean, look, Friday I was off. Monday we had a five-minute Here's the Red Sox lineup. Tuesday, we had a five-minute Here's the Red Sox lineup. I haven't been with you all in full for a while now. I am happy to be back. I am happy to have all 90 minutes here on WDEV. You know, I went and looked at the schedule. We're going to have a lot more 90-minute shows in Red Sox season than we've ever had before because with the games now coming against the National League teams, more games are going to start after 7 o'clock for us to get a full show. So less games against the Yankees, Blue Jays, Orioles, and Rays means less early starts. More games against Milwaukee and the Dodgers and the Padres and Arizona. So we're going to get more of these full shows throughout the season than we've ever had before, and I am very pumped about that. All 90 minutes, we're up until 7 o'clock. Jazz with George Thomas comes next. We'll play the Red Sox highlights from today. Sox lose it 6-2, to two, lose the series. I spoke with Tom Karen of Nesson earlier today, so before the game, so you'll hear part of that today. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio is going to be with us live today about 6-15. Get you ready for the NFL draft. We got a ton to get to. Show is brought to you by Fecto Homes. You can get in on the text line at 802-585-3026. That is the... That is 802-585-3026. <laughs> Texter says, let's talk about the Bruins. I don't want to talk about the Celtics. Well, that's too bad. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. We're going to have to talk about the Celtics. That's where my opening thoughts are. We will talk about the Bruins today as well. But and they are looking to close out Florida. And I think Patrice Bergeron's going to play. But we do have to start with the Celtics. And the opening thoughts are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. The Celtics absolutely blew it last night. Absolutely blew it. They had a 3-1 lead, had a chance to clinch the series, blew it. They had a 10-point lead with five minutes to play, blew it. They had an eight-point lead with three-plus minutes to play. Blew it. They lose to the Atlanta Hawks 119-117 to at home at TD Garden. Yes, they're still up three games to two. Yes, they can still close out the series in game six. It doesn't make what happened yesterday any less infuriating. Trey Young, ball in his hands, six seconds to play in the game. This was the dagger. Backtracks, five to two, Young. Let's it go! And oh! hits! Woo! Ice cold! 119-117. And that's how it would finish. Yesterday was a horrible loss for the Celtics. 
absolutely horrible, and it was horrible for a few different reasons. One, simply put, look no further than this. You have made life tougher for yourself now. That's it. You have made life tougher for yourself. You now need to go back to Atlanta for game six. This isn't 2-3-2 two, two of back in the day. This is 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, one, one, one. There's a lot of traveling in these series. And now you need to go back to Atlanta. More time spent on this series, more miles traveled in this series, more days invested in this series, more energy expended in this series. We saw what happened last year with the Celtics. They had to go seven games in the second round against Milwaukee. They had to go seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals against Miami. And then when they got to the NBA Finals against Golden State, they were gassed. You had a chance to get out of this series in five, conserve some energy, but no, you have to spend more time, more energy, more travel to go back to Atlanta, and you put yourself in the potential for that same scenario that happened a year ago to happen to you again. You have made life harder for yourself. And then let's let's, you know, look past Atlanta for a second and acknowledge this. If the Celtics win this series, they'll play Philadelphia in the second round. Joel Embiid has a strained LCL, which is something to do with his knee. He is very, very questionable for the early part of that series. If the Celtics had won yesterday and closed out Atlanta like they should have, that series would have begun on Saturday, and Embiid would have been very, very either unlikely to play or hobbled in that. Now you have given him more time to recover, you have given them more time to plan, and you have given them more time to prepare. So even if the Celtics win this series, which I believe they will, and they certainly should, even if they win this series, they have made their path harder. They've made it easier for Philly to get Embiid ready, and they've made it harder for themselves. That is something that is absolutely horrible, and really, really good championship teams in their prime do not do things like that. Okay, Really good championship teams in their prime do not let teams off the hook, and that's exactly what the Celtics did yesterday. Number two, talk is really, really cheap. Okay, Talk is really, really cheap. On Monday... I came into the afternoon news service, and I played this soundbite. The Celtics had just gone up three games to one. They had just won on Sunday. They were on the verge of closing out the Hawks. And Jason Tatum said this. This was his comments on Sunday. We played it Monday. This is just two and a half days ago. It was a few times last year where we kind of relaxed. I would say after we beat Milwaukee game four, we relaxed, came back and lost game five. We was up 13 in the fourth. And that came back to bite us, right? We had to go win two in a row. Um, winning game five in Miami last year, coming back and relaxing a little bit um, instead of, you know, feeling like our backs were against the wall, lost and had to go win game seven. Um, so trying not to make it tougher on ourselves, not relaxing, you know. Damn near going there with the mindset of we down 3-1 and we, and we got to win, um, then thinking that, you know, it's over and they're going to give up. Two and a half days ago, Jason Tatum says specifically 
In that soundbite, the team can't relax. We've seen it before. We've learned from last year. We have to stick with our pedal to the metal. We have to have the urgency. We have to play as if we're down 3-1. to one. He said all the right things about attitude, all the right things about mindset, and all the right things about effort. And then two and a half days later, this team failed in all of those departments for the last six minutes of the game. I mean, I mean how does that happen? You tell me that you've learned from this as a team. Jason Tatum was here last year. Jalen Brown was here last year. Marcus Smart was here last year. Al Horford was here last year. Rob Williams was here last year. Derek White was here last year. There are a lot of veteran, experienced players. A lot of veteran, experienced players that went through that a year ago. Jason Tatum said all the right things on Sunday afternoon, and then on Tuesday night, the team flopped in all of those things. How is that possible? Really good teams don't do that. You can't tell me all about it on Sunday and then not be about it on Tuesday night. And I'm not the only one who feels that way. I'm not the only one frustrated by that. Chris Forsberg of NBC Sports Boston, he was beside himself last night too on post-game coverage. There is one thing they are elite at. It is making their lives more difficult than it needs to be. And I keep waiting for them to learn, and we keep hearing them say they learned from last season. And it it does scare me that no matter how much they talk about what they've learned, they rarely go out there and show it. And now the path has gotten that much more complicated. Don't tell me what you've learned. Show me what you've learned. Don't talk about it. Be about it. The Celtics had every chance to finish that game yesterday, and they didn't. They were careless. They turned the ball over. They stopped going to the bucket. They settled for jump shots. They took their foot off the glass. Inexcusable. Inexcusable. When you have a team in the playoffs, on the ropes, with a chance to clinch, you find a way to do it. Did Denver play perfectly yesterday against Minnesota? No, but they found a way. Did Phoenix play perfectly against the Clippers? Did they almost blow it? Yeah, but you know what? They found a way. Both those teams found a way. And you didn't at home. And that's really, really discouraging. And look, you've got to point at least one of your fingers at Jason Tatum in this one. He's not the reason they lost. Of course he's not. It's a team game. One guy doesn't cost you the game. But Jason Tatum is supposed to be the guy. We want him to be the guy. We want Jason Tatum to be a top five player in the league. We want him to be a max dollar guy. We want him to be a centerpiece to build around. And you know what? I think he is all that. But last night, he wasn't. Outside of the bad turnover he had, outside of the technical that he got, and outside of the really good pass to Robert Williams for the dunk late, I don't even remember Jason Tatum being involved the last seven, eight minutes of that game. Can't have that. You can't have that. Look around the NBA. Your dudes need to be the dudes that help you close things out. I'm watching Denver last night. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic dominated down the stretch. They're the guys. Devin Booker for the Suns dominates down the stretch. Jimmy Butler two nights ago. I don't think anyone from Miami took a shot except Jimmy Butler the last five minutes of the game. Heck, Trey Young, who I can't stand, steps up at the end of the game. Your guy 
at the end of the game is supposed to be the guy that gets you over the hump, and Jason Tatum wasn't that. He's a max player. He's a build-around player. He is a star. He's an all-star. He'll be a guy who gets MVP votes for a long time to come, but you've got to be a closer. And he goes one of ten from three. He disappears the last seven, eight minutes of the game. Well under 50% from the floor. Ironically enough, I was listening to Colin Cowherd before the show yesterday. I heard him say this about Jimmy Butler. Woo! What kind of foreshadowing was this? And right now, Jimmy Butler is the scariest guy in the Eastern Conference. Tatum, let's be honest, do we trust him late? I mean, that was Colin yesterday on the show. Colin Cowherd says right there yesterday afternoon, Jimmy Butler's the scariest guy in the Eastern Conference because do we trust Jason Tatum late? Well, last night proved all the doubters right. Because Tatum wasn't trustworthy last night. I, I, no one's comparing Tatum to Jordan or LeBron, but Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, those guys, they finished the game. And Tatum didn't. He wasn't even a part of it at the end of the game. Jalen Brown was the guy I felt the most secure with yesterday at the end of the game. He's the guy I wanted with the ball in his hands. And a closeout game was so much on the line, you cannot allow a team to, you cannot allow yourselves to have to go back to Atlanta. Just such a bad loss. Will the Celtics win the series? Yes. I mean, so this is not about it. This will not about the Celtics losing the series. This is about life being made so much harder for yourself. This is about your best player not stepping up in the biggest moment. This is about the questions we've had about this team resurfacing you got to answer those questions, and the Celtics didn't last night. Ross says Celtics never should have been in that position, never should have lost that lead. Tatum was jacking up bad shots, and his play hasn't been what a leader plays like. Peter says Trey Young was clutch. Uh, I admit he's shown a lot of heart given his situation in Atlanta. Louie from Highgate says, Brady, how do you feel about Trey Young now? I knew someone was going to ask about that. Yes. Okay. Trey Young was good last night. There. You want me to say it? You want me to admit it? He was good last night. He had 38 points. He had 13 assists. He delivered the performance his team needed at that time. I will give him credit for that. But you know why it worked yesterday? The only reason that worked yesterday is because DeJounte Murray wasn't there. Trey Young was playing with Trey Young and the Treyettes. Everyone on that team, on that floor, was subservient to him. So he could get away with being a chuck. He could get away with being a ball hawk. He could get away with a forced shot or two. He took 33 shots last night. When DeJounte Murray's there, he can't take 33 shots, but he will take some of the bad shots he still took. And that's the problem with Trey Young. You want to build up good players around him. You want to pair him with good players. But when you pair him with good players and he plays like he did last night, that's a problem. He can play like last night because it was a subservient team to him. When Murray comes back, he can't play like that. I don't think Trey Young's a great guy to play with when you are a comparable level player. When everyone around him is a C and he gets to be the B plus or the A minus, then sure, it's all great. 
You get a guy, you get a bunch of A's around Trey Young. They're gonna be frustrated as hell playing with him. But hey, it was one game. He did what he needed to do, and congratulations to him. And we're going back to Atlanta. <laughs> People want me to tell you my uh, mock draft. I told you I don't do mock drafts. We will talk about the Patriots. We will do that in the six o'clock hour. Look, you think what I am saying is harsh on the Celtics? Wait until you hear what one of their own said. You won't believe what came out of the post-game press conferences last night. I'll tell you who said what next on DEV. Think you know sports better than Brady does? Text in with your thoughts at 802-585-3026. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Very much, Field, and Field will be busy. We know the next couple of days... With the NFL Draft, which we will have tomorrow for you, by the way. The first round we'll have for you on DEV. It is the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto Homes here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I mean, look, if you think I'm frustrated, if you think you're frustrated, did you hear what Jalen Brown said last night after the game? I mean, wow. I was floored when I saw what Jalen Brown had to say. I mean, we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about Jalen Brown's future and wondering about his happiness and wondering about what exactly he means when he talks and all that jazz. Well, you know what? It's comments like this that get me wondering about everything involving Jalen Brown's future. After the game, Jalen Brown said this about the collapse. Definitely a lot of emotion. Um, Up 12, I don't know how many minutes left in the fourth. Smoked the game, um, but... Our mindset mentality is to get ready for the next one. You know, we've been in situations like this before. It's unfortunate, but um, you can look around and point fingers or you can take ownership of the situation. You got two chances to win one. So come out and get ready for the next game. Wow. Wow. Jalen Brown was saying all the right things until the end. Did you catch when Jalen Brown just throws in unprompted, unprovoked, we can look around and we can point fingers or we can take ownership. No one asked Jalen Brown about assigning blame. No one asked Jalen Brown to point fingers. No one asked him who he was mad at. If Jalen Brown had just said, hey, it was a bad game. We collectively failed at the end. It's a team effort. We, we, we didn't get the job done, but we've been in this situation before. I'm confident we can right the ship. No big deal. But he goes out of his way to say, we can we can point fingers. You know what that leads me to believe? That leads me to believe that Jalen Brown's pointing fingers. That internally, Jalen Brown is blaming people. And I want to know who he's talking about. Because you know what? Jalen Brown damn sure is not pointing the finger at himself. Jalen Brown had 35 points. Jalen Brown was 4 of 7 from 3. Jalen Brown was 15 of, I think, 23 from the floor. Jalen Brown had seven rebounds. Jalen Brown played well yesterday. End of the first half, Jalen Brown helps go on a run, gets you a big lead at halftime. Jalen Brown's not pointing the finger at himself. But when he talks about pointing the finger, it leads me to believe that he's pointing it at somebody, and I want to know who it is. Is he pointing the finger at Jason Tatum, who no-showed for the fourth quarter and got a technical that helped sway things? Is he pointing the finger 
at Marcus Smart, who committed a foul with 17 seconds to play that gave the Hawks free throws when it, when a foul didn't need to be committed? Is he talking about all the missed free throws the Celtics had last night? Is he talking about Joe Missoula, who didn't use a timeout here or a timeout there or played Blake Griffin and didn't play Malcolm Brogdon? Who exactly is he talking about? Because it's very clear to me that Jalen Brown's not talking about himself. He's, he's telling you that he doesn't think this is his fault. That's what he's telling you. He, I mean, look, he's on a roll here. He's saying all the right things. Listen to this again. He's saying all the right things until the end. He throws in the idea of blame for no reason other than he's clearly blaming people. Definitely a lot of emotion. Um, up 12, I don't know how many minutes left in the fourth. Smoked the game. Um, but our mindset mentality is to get ready for the next one, you know. We've been in situations like this before. It's unfortunate, but um, you can look around and point fingers or you can take ownership of the situation. He should have just stopped when he said we've been in situations before. Stop right there, and we're not having this conversation today. But he didn't stop there. He kept going, and whoo-wee, now I want to know who's on his mind. Who's on Jalen Brown's list? He's sending you a message there. And if you think I'm reading too much into it, you can tell me 802-585-3026, but I don't think I am. I have listened to enough athletes speak, to enough post-game press conferences, to enough sound bites, to enough coach speak, that I think I can decode the BS meter, and my, my radar went off right there. The minute I heard that, I'm like, no one asked you about blaming people. So the fact that you mentioned it means that you subconsciously are blaming people. That, that's where we're at. You tell me, 802-585-3026. But I don't see it that way. And then Tate, or then Brown goes on after. Trey Young hits the game-winning shot. Brown was guarding him. Brown was asked about how he defended Trey Young at the end of the game. And listen to this one. They didn't need three. They only needed one. Um, uh, Trey Young is pretty shifty getting to his right hand. So that's what I was looking to take away. And, you know... He stepped back and pulled one from the logo. It's a tough basket, tough shot in the playoffs, you know. Um, maybe I could have forced him towards the basket a little bit more, you know, if I could have picked him up a little bit better. But maybe we shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. But ho! I mean, look. Hey, I gave up the shot. Maybe I could have done this. Maybe I could have done that. But you know what? Never should have come to that. I mean, look. What more evidence do you need? He's telling you, that ain't my fault. He's saying, what happened yesterday, not on me. Yeah, sure, I could have played a little better defense. But you know what? Maybe all of you couldn't have blown a 12-point lead. Maybe you, Jason Tatum, couldn't have no-showed. Maybe you, Joe Missoula, couldn't have had a weird substitution pattern. Maybe you, uh, Rob Williams, could have hit your free throws. He's pointing the finger at somebody. He's not pointing at himself. Milo in North Troy says, I bet whoever he's talking about knows now. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, this is, you know, that was odd. The, the whole thing was odd. Jalen Brown, in my mind, should have just said, look, we collectively screwed up. All of us. Every single one of us, myself included. You know what I didn't hear in any of Jalen Brown's comments, really, was I definitely did this wrong. All I heard was, maybe I could have done this, but we shouldn't have been in that spot. 
I mean, think about it. That that's a passive aggressive shot. You all you all have friendships, you all have relationships, a lot of you have significant others. You know what passive aggressive sounds like. If if the wife is driving and you get lost and you go to her, hey, she said, look, I, yeah, I took a wrong turn, but you told me all the wrong directions. I never should have been in that spot. Well, yeah, that's on you. Then that is on you. Milo says, is he wrong in his statement? It's To me, it's not about if he's wrong. Jalen Brown would be right. Jason Tatum no-showed in the fourth quarter. He would be right the team didn't hit his free throws. Jalen Brown would be right if he called out Marcus Smart for committing a silly foul at the half-court line. That would be fair. But you know what? You don't handle it in the media. You handle it behind closed doors. That's what veteran teams do. Celtics are a veteran team. There's long-standing relationships there. If you want to call somebody out, if you want to talk it out, you do it in a team meeting or you do it in someone's locker away from the media. You do not do it in front of the cameras. You don't send a message in front of the media. You don't try to make it like it's not your fault in front of the media. You go talk to the guy. Hey, Marcus, you're the defensive player of the year. We've been teammates now for five, six years. Why do you? Why did you feel the need to go and reach on Trey Young there, man? Why, you're too good a defender to do that. It would be one thing if Jalen Brown would up to Marcus Smart and was like, look, man, you're too good to pull that. We need you to be smarter. You're a leader on this team. If it happened in the locker room, away from the away from the cameras, that would be one thing. But to do it in the media and really feel like you're throwing people under the bus, that's not right. That's not right. And it's all of this. This is why I've just said Celtics need to just win the win the title this year. Because the NBA is so day-to-day, I don't know how many times Jalen Brown has to get frustrated that he just walks up to Brad Stevens like, you know what, I don't want to deal with it anymore, I'm out. Or Jason Tatum goes to Brad Stevens and says, look, man, that's not cool what Jalen did. I want him gone. Now, would that happen? I don't know. Probably not. But it's why I've said just win the title this year because I don't need the chance of that happening. Celtics are a championship talent team. They've got to be able to finish the job, and they've got to be able to stay together because what we saw and heard yesterday was not good on a lot of different fronts. It's the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, we are streaming live on Facebook Live and on YouTube as well. Uh, We will get the CBS National News update. We will come back after that. And we will talk about the Red Sox and Orioles today and last night. Oriole fans taking shots at Red Sox fans. I'll tell you the story. We'll do it next on DEV. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. 
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. We're brought to you by Fecto Homes. We go up until 7 o'clock today. No Red Sox baseball tonight. Sox played day baseball earlier today, suffering a 6-2 loss against the Baltimore Orioles. Sox are now 13-13 and on the season, still in last place in the American League East. They lose the series against the O's. Uh, Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio is going to be with us in about 10 minutes. Jazz with George Thomas comes your way in the 7 o'clock hour. So uh, that will be on at 7 when we get out of here today. Uh, let's play you back the highlights from earlier today in case you missed the game. Sox got down one nothing early after some shoddy defense. And then Masataka Yoshida tied the game with a solo home run to dead center. The pitch. Swing. There's a shot hammered high and deep to right center field. This ball is way back, and it is gone into the bleachers. A blast by Yoshida, his fourth home run, and we're tied at one. That was crushed. About seven or eight rows up into the right center field seats. Yoshida's been really good lately. He was really good on this entire road trip. He's homered in three of his last four games. He's got a seven-game hit streak now, and Yoshida also has – Multiple total bases, so basically more than a single or a walk. Multiple total bases in each of the last seven games. He's the first Japanese-born player to do that in the last 13 years. Ichiro did it in 2010, had a streak of seven games with a uh, with multiple total bases. Yoshida has tied that already. He's been in the league for three and a half weeks. So an impressive road trip here for Yoshida, and this is what we thought we'd see. Right? This is what we thought we'd see. A guy who gets on base, a guy who doesn't strike out a lot, a guy who has some power, a guy who can be a, a catalyst for your run for your run scoring opportunities. I always believed that Yoshida could get here. Look, we said at the end of the year, or at the beginning of the year, I should say, I think Yoshida can hit 280, 20 to 23 homers, 75 to 85 RBI. If he does that with a 350 on base percentage, he'd be really good. He's on pace for those kind of numbers. Look, he's on pace for better than those numbers probably, right? Season lasts six months. He's got four homers already. Well, okay, he hit 24. He's got 16 RBI. Multiply that by five, he'd have 90. He'd steal 15 bases almost. If he does all that, the, the contract will have been well worth it. So Yoshida, they kept calling it his coming out party this road trip, and I hope that's what it was because he's a good player. Is he going to be a guy who hits 38 and brings in 118? No. But can he be a guy who justifies $15 million a year? Absolutely. I went through the list yesterday and looked at outfielders that are making more than Yoshida. I mean, Chris Bryant's making $28 million a year. Is Chris Bryant double the player Yoshida is? No, I don't think so. Saya Suzuki, another Japanese player who came over last year, plays for the Cubs. He's younger than Yoshida, makes $18 million a year. Is he that much better? No. Brandon Nimmo's making $18.5 million. Starling Marte's making twenty. I, I mean, I think Yoshida absolutely can justify his contract and justify the Red Sox investment in him. And he's off to a good start in doing that. So that tied the game at one. Then the Orioles started to take the lead again, and they got a, uh, let's see here, Cedric Mullins got in on the action for Baltimore. Swinging a ground ball off the glove of Valdez, caught by Kike. The throw will not be made. O'Hearn scores. It's 3-1-0s, and Kike just saved a run. That hey, was spectacular. He certainly did because that was high in the air. He had to cross over to the right side to make that stab. It would have been a two-run hit. 
So Houck is not able to get a swing and a miss. In the spot he needed it, Orioles lead by two. Yeah, so that made it three to one. That damage happened in the fourth inning. Orioles would get another would get another couple of runs, and then Justin Turner would come back, and this would be four to two Orioles. This one was in the sixth. Here's the payoff pitch. Swing and a line drive in the right field. That's a base hit. Verdugo comes home. It's a two-run game. What an at-bat for Justin Turner, and that should do it for Tyler Wells. I thought it was imperative to get at least that one run home here. And they did just that there, but again, then the Orioles would go and add on. A couple other runs late, a sack fly by Anthony Santander, and then a uh, close of the door by Felix Bautista, a really good closer for the Orioles. Orioles' bull bullpen has been excellent in the early going. Starters have an ERA of almost six. Relievers have an ERA of under three for Baltimore, so that's why they are uh, now continuing to play really good baseball. They're really good at the back end of games. Red Sox... 13 and 13. The Orioles now move to 16 and 8. The Orioles are going to go to Detroit next. The Red Sox are going to come home. They're off tomorrow. They'll take on the Guardians. We'll have the coverage for you over the weekend. Friday night's game with the coverage at 610. Uh, Orioles fans are shredding Red Sox fans today. I don't know if you saw this. This was reported late last night that multiple Red Sox relievers multiple Red Sox relievers said that they were getting treated very, very poorly by fans in the Orioles bullpen area. And I don't mean booing and jeering and all that. They were getting spit on. They were getting beer thrown at them, etc. Today, Richard Blyer, who's one of the relievers for the Red Sox, the lefty, he came out and said, yes, that did happen. He said, by the way, I played in Baltimore. Those are not the fans that I remember. So I actually found myself in some message boards and chat rooms like at circa 1998. What just a cesspool those places are. But anyways, I found myself in one among Orioles fans. And Orioles fans just kept saying, no big deal. Red Sox fans are the worst in the league. Remember what Red Sox fans said to this guy and that guy. And every time Red Sox fans come here, they're so obnoxious. You know what? Two wrongs don't make a right. All right? right, let's. I've said this forever. If you go to games and you throw beer on athletes and you uh, spit on athletes, you are a loser. And you should not go to games. If that is how you act at games, you should not go to games. And there is no excuse for it. Oh, well, Brady, they're just a bunch of drunken 20-year-olds. They'll learn from it. Don't care. Don't go to games. If that's how you act, don't go to games. And yes, Boston has had issues in the past. Issues that are very serious, right? Racial issues. Adam Jones, Tory Hunter. Boston has had plenty of issues in its sports past before. I get it. There are bad Red Sox fans, just like there are bad Orioles fans, just like there are bad Yankees fans, Mariners fans, Texas fans, Twins fans, Marlins fans, doesn't matter. Bad fans exist everywhere. But just because you have a perception of Red Sox fans that they act one way does not mean that you have a carte blanche to go and do whatever the hell you want. Okay, These drunken 20-somethings are not exacting payback that's justified just because Red Sox fans have been bad in the past. The relievers out there didn't do anything. They don't deserve it. If you are a person who does this at games, stop going to games. If you are a person who threatens athletes online, you are a loser. Stay offline. 
mean, this is ridiculous. They shouldn't have to deal with this. And I'm not trying to be soft. I'm not trying to be millennial. I don't care if they get booed. I don't care if they get heckled. I don't care if they get jeered. You want to go and like your team and hate the other team? That's your right as a fan. What's not your right is to spit on people and throw beer. That That's what's not your right. Richard Blyer and the rest of the bullpen out there didn't deserve it. And Orioles fans that are out here getting defensive and justifying it saying, oh, but your fans are bad too. That's, that is not a defense as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely not a defense. I mean, can't get away with that stuff. Well, apparently you can get away with it, but you shouldn't be able to get away with it. Absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd. It is the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I'm going to turn from something that makes me very angry to something that makes me very happy. And that is our guy, Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio, who is calling in now. One of the nicest guys in sports talk radio and one of the smartest. Mac Jones went out there and he looked the part. Had command of the huddle, had command of his teammates. That is something that everybody thought they would see. No one thought they would see it this early. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN's Freddie Coleman on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio. Freddie and Fitzsimmons is the show on ESPN Radio. We love talking to Freddie. We do so... Oh, we don't need to play that. Oh, excuse me. Hey, Vermont. Hey, how about, how about hey, Freddie? Um, we talk to Freddie every single Wednesday. Sometimes it's live. Sometimes it's pre-recorded. Sometimes it's 5 o'clock hour. Sometimes it's 6 o'clock hour. Today, here it is at 6.15. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, with us now. Freddie, how are you? I'm good, and I clearly understand the whole hour rant on the Boston Celtics <laughs> because I guarantee you, Brady, that line is very long with the ranting and raving based on Game 5. Yeah, let me ask you, last six minutes of the game yesterday, your thoughts? My thoughts is my thoughts are, I should say, is that this is exactly what we've seen from the Boston Celtics too many times, and that's why I call them the goofy Boston Celtics because how can you look that good through three quarters and then you allow Trey Young, who's terrific, there's no doubt about that, but he scored the last 14 points of the game, and now you got to bump Janet Jackson to Friday and play game six in Atlanta when you should have closed out the series. And this Celtics team is too talented to have those kind of moments, go 7-13 from the free throw line at home and have your best player, Jason Tatum, go 1-10 for 10 from the three-point line. They should be beyond those kind of moments, especially when it wasn't that long ago, Brady, back in January, that they had the best record in the NBA. But because they've been the goofy Celtics, I guess we maybe we shouldn't be surprised if we saw this Celtics team play like this after what they were able to do to take a 3-1 series lead in the first place. You know, I'm not a Tatum hater. I don't think that he's soft necessarily. But last night, it did feel like he was lacking the kind of killer instinct that we saw just two nights ago from Jimmy Butler and even last night from Jamal Murray in Denver. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And here's why to back up your point. When you're one attempt from the three-point line, at a certain point, you got to get two feet in the lane and get those paint touches. In the last six minutes, Brady, they did not take a shot 14 feet and in. Wow. So that shows a lack of aggressiveness from this team that they were settling for the three-point shot. The Atlanta Hawks determined that you're not going to get into the lane, and they weren't aggressive enough to try to make their way into the lane to make it easier shots for themselves or even easier two-point shots where it's not a three-point shot. So, yeah, to back up your point, when you have those kind of stats, it tells you exactly a lack of aggressiveness that they had, and the Atlanta Hawks made them pay for it. Who do you trust more down the stretch, Tatum or Jalen Brown? 
Right now, I would say Jalen Brown because Jalen Brown is going to have those forays to get into the lane, and he's not just going to settle because he's shown the hat, that he has the ability to put the ball on the deck and really punish the defense or also get the step back and then relocate behind the three-point line and get a wide-open shot from the three-point line. But he's also shown the ability that no matter who's guarding him, whether it's a smaller player or a bigger player, that he believes he has an advantage. He's going to use the dribble, and he's going to punish the defense. So at this point right now, because we know how athletically gifted and a shot maker that Jason Tatum has been. But more often than not, I think he settles too much for three-pointers, where Jalen Brown is the kind of guy that does not settle, especially when he knows they need a bucket and he knows how to get it close to the basket. You know, it's interesting you say this. uh, Off-topic, but on-topic. I I was thinking about this the other night. I'm watching the Lakers and the Grizzlies in Game 4, and John Morant's going to the bucket continuously down the stretch, and he's not getting any Mm -hmm. calls, and he's upset that he's not getting any calls. And I'm thinking to myself, so often – we implore players to go to the hoop and not settle. But then when they go to the hoop, they're not necessarily rewarded for doing that, and they're not getting the calls. So I wonder if they're in any way related to where guys are like, look, if it's playoff basketball and I'm not going to get the foul call, my best bet is just to shoot from outside. But I will say this as a counter to that. More often than not, referees will award the bigger players who are aggressive compared to the smaller players. For mm-hmm. example, LeBron James, he gets into the lane guarded by Dylan Brooks. He puts a foul on him. He gets the call and goes to the free throw line. I've seen that time and time again, that bigger players, or especially, let's say, guys who are not guards. If you're a swing man, if you're a shooting guard, you get to the rim and there's contact they're going to reward you for because it seems like it's in their mind of the referees that the bigger guy's making a play. The one player that can really do that, get in the lane and get calls as a smaller player, is a guy like Steph Curry at six foot three. He's still that willing to he gets in the lane, he gets that contact, he gets rewarded with the call. But more than not, Brady, if you're a bigger guy, you make that kind of effort and aggressiveness to get into the lane. The referee's going to reward you with that because they feel that, okay, he's strong enough. The only way they could keep him getting that kind of shot is that they had to foul him and make sure he was not going to get an easier shot at the rim. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio. Freddie and Fitzsimmons. He's here with us on the Radio Farka Show and WDEV. Jalen Brown's comments after the game concerned me, and uh, we've been talking a lot about how Jalen Brown feels in his future. And yesterday, kind of unprompted, he says, you know, we could point the finger, and then he says, oh, you know, my defense could have been this, but maybe we shouldn't have been in that spot. It seems to me like he's pointing the finger and blaming people. I don't know which. I don't know if he's at Missoula, at at Tatum, at Smart for the foul on Trey Young. I don't know who he's blaming, but it seems like he's blaming somebody. Do you see it that way? I do see it that way, but Brady, that doesn't mean that he's wrong by putting the blame because he said we have to be better or this person has to do this. That's his way of saying that, guys, we're too talented to be in a position where we got to play an extra game to take care of an opponent that we should have closed out in five, and then we give more rest to the Philadelphia 76ers team with a compromised center, Joel Embiid. It's like the old line that George Clooney said in Ocean's 11 when he got called out by Tess, and he said, that doesn't mean I was wrong. It's the same thing here with Jalen Brown. He's definitely calling out himself and calling out other people and placing blame here, there, and everywhere. But that doesn't mean he was wrong by what he had to say. So it's easy to look at the message and say, man, what are you doing? But that doesn't mean that Jalen Brown was speaking untruth when he's exactly right by what happened to Boston Celtics because he's seen it happen way too many times with a team with this kind of talent and mentality having these kind of goofy moments. You know, the way the Hawks played yesterday – I think worked because with Murray out, everybody just kind of deferred to Trey Young and he was allowed to shoot 33 shots and everybody was kind of subservient to him. When Murray comes back in game six, can they afford to play the same way? 
No, they can't afford to play the same way because you have DeJounte Murray in your basketball team. He's the perfect Robin to the Batman. That is Trey Young. But if you're the Atlanta Hawks, if Trey Young is able to have that hot shooting early, then you have to ride through him because we've seen him have the ability to not only make shots but create shots for the people. Lawson, what he was able to do last night was the fact that he had double digit in assists, so he's getting other people involved. And I don't think that part's going to change when DeJounte Murray is back on the court for this team in Game Six on Thursday night. But if Trey Young is feeling it early, that's the guy you got to ride because we've seen him not only take over games but also can take over series. And that's something that I would really worry about right now if I'm the Boston Celtics. Let's move over to the NFL draft. First round is tomorrow. Patriots are scheduled to pick at number 14. Do you think they make a pick in the first round? I don't know if they're going to make a pick, Brady, but they better. And it can't be somebody that this hidden gem and all these other things. You know what? Those days should be passed. When you're in a modern football times in the AFC, especially in your own division, where Josh Allen, he has weapons in Buffalo. The Jets now have Aaron Rodgers, and we know he has weapons with that football team. We know Tony Vailoa, if he can stay healthy, he has weapons on the outside, and Jalen Waddle, as well as Tyreek Hill in a running game that's underrated for the Miami Dolphins. So more than ever before, if you believe in your quarterback and Mac Jones, if you think he's the guy or you have any kind of reservations about that, you still are going to need playmakers. And you're going to need playmakers either on one side of the ball defensively to get out to the quarterback or shut down wide receivers or on the other side getting a wide receiver that can help your quarterback or whatever that's going to be. And you can find quality wide receivers in this draft, not just in the first round. But you're trying to find this hidden gem. Find hidden gems in the fifth and sixth round. That's where they belong. But if you need an impact player, you got to draft one at 14. That's going to impact your team the minute that you put on that football field because more than ever before, if you're the Patriots, you can't afford to wait and have a project thinking two or three years down the line. That guy's going to be ready to make an impact on your football team. Patriots reportedly hosted Will Levis of Kentucky on a on a visit here, leading to some wondering about what the Patriots are thinking at the quarterback position. What did you make of that report? I wonder how much of that's the fact that Bill O'Brien was at Alabama and had a chance to see him and maybe trying to find out as much intel if they're going to pull the trigger on a guy like Will Levis. Maybe they believe he fits their, his skill set, fits what they do more. I don't know what that is. I think you have to explore any opportunity, but if you put that out there, do you have Will Levis in for a visit? And what kind of message that I send to your quarterback, Mac Jones? It seems that to me, and this is just me spitballing, Brady, that they're trying to do everything they can to motivate Mac Jones to play better. Well, you know how you motivate Mac Jones to play better? It's to make sure he has weapons around him because he is a quality quarterback, in my opinion. But they're never going to find out by playing these Jedi mind tricks and thinking these mind crying games are going to work to get him motivated. That worked with Tom Brady. But Mac Jones is a different quarterback, a 21st century quarterback compared to a 20th century quarterback in Tom Brady. Those kind of things, in my opinion, could drive a guy away instead of making sure he's motivated enough to want to stay and be a better quarterback for the New England Patriots. Freddie, you mentioned Bill O'Brien. He spoke last week about wiping the slate clean in New England, Mac Jones wiping the slate clean. Do you think that Mac Jones and Bill Belichick can actually do that, or is their relationship fractured to the point where they're always going to be looking quizzically at one another? I don't think it's so much from the Mac Jones standpoint. I think Brady's a lot from the Bill Belichick standpoint because we've seen this before where you cross his face and Bill Belichick does not forget about that. Ask Eric Mangini and other people that worked for him and he decided to go work for the Jets. Those two have not spoken since. And Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick had their moments as well. Bill Belichick, there's a lot of things that he holds on to, but something like that, either disloyalty or lack of focus, or not being true to the Patriot way, he really, really holds that in high regard. If you go against that, then all of a sudden he believes that you should be on the outside looking in. 
So I think it's more along the lines of Bill Belichick not letting it go compared to Mac Jones. And I think by having Bill, Bill O'Brien could be the perfect buffer where maybe this relationship, if it's fractured right now, can be repaired a little bit. So I think that's where Bill O'Brien has to come in, that you know he works with Bill Belichick, but he's got to speak up for his quarterback and say, hey, Bill, leave the guy alone. We got a guy here. Let's see if we can make it work and have him cook. Because if he does and he's able to do that, you're going to have a lot better quarterback than what you had in his rookie season where he wasn't bad. But then he clearly regressed under Matt Patricia and Joe Judge calling plays in 2022. Freddie, I don't want to bury the lead here. Your Jets officially have Aaron Rodgers. Press conference was earlier today. With that news, are the Patriots officially in the cellar of the AFC East? On paper right now, yes, because in terms of talent and ability, not just as a quarterback position, they're definitely the fourth-best team in the AFC East. And Brady, those are words I thought I would never, ever say in your lifetime, my lifetime, my grandchildren's lifetime, because that's the kind of Patriot way that's been able to be a part of this division. But the numbers and the players speak for themselves. When you look at all three of those teams above the New England Patriots, they have what the Patriots don't have, and that's a lot of impact players on both sides of the football. You look at the Jets, not just having Aaron Rodgers, but they got Garrett Wilson at the wide receiver position, Brees Hall coming back from a torn ACL, and he was running out of his mind before he had that injury. You got Sauce Garden and guys on the other side that can make plays on defense. You don't really have that with the New England Patriots. You have some guys that are good and some guys who could maybe be above average or even better than good, but you don't have those impact kind of guys. And all the other three teams in that division on both sides of the football have impact players that can tilt the field one way or the other in favor against the New England Patriots, especially in that division six times this year. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio. Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Freddie, you're the best. Enjoy the draft tomorrow. Enjoy the Celtics over the weekend. Well, hopefully the Celtics close it out. And we'll, uh, hopefully we're talking about a Celtics Sixers series next week. No doubt about that, Brady. Take care. Be well, my friend. Talk to you in seven days. Absolutely. There he goes, Freddie Coleman, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Love talking to Freddie. We do so every single week. 802-585-3026 is the number to get in. I want to react to what Freddie said here after a commercial break, but just kind of right off the top here about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers did a good job at his, at his Jets press conference. We'll probably talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be more of a football-heavy day because it's day one of the draft. But Aaron Rodgers said the right things. I think Aaron Rodgers is smart. I think Aaron Rodgers is savvy. You don't have to agree with his politics. You don't have to agree with his vaccination stance. Whatever. whatever. You don't have to agree with Aaron Rodgers on that. I don't love Aaron Rodgers because I think he's selfish. But today, he said all the right things. Talked good about the New York media, talked about wanting to win the Super Bowl, talked about being there for more than a year, talked about helping Zach Wilson, said all the right things. And you know what? Yeah, the Patriots are the fourth-best team in the AFC East right now. The Patriots right now are projected to be a last-place team. It's just reality. Maybe they'll knock it out of the park with the draft. Maybe they'll make a big draft day trade. I don't know. But right now, they are projected to be a last-place team. Aaron Rodgers and the Jets are better. I think Miami is better. I heard Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston say he doesn't believe in Miami. He doesn't believe in Tua, and that's fine. I just think that that team is better than the Patriots right now. I think that team is absolutely better than the Patriots right now. And so the Pats, they got a lot riding on this draft because they need to hit some home runs. As Freddie says, you can't only be looking for diamonds in the rough. you got to find a way to get some home run hitters. you got to find a way to get some guys who can help elevate you above those teams. 
uh, for sure. I want to react to a little bit more of what Freddie had to say about the Celtics, and then I do want to get into the Patriots a little bit before the draft. So we'll react to Freddie Coleman next here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We'll get to the Patriots here momentarily. I want to wrap up some of our Celtics conversation with Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. And like Milo, who texted in earlier, Freddie says, look, Jalen Brown might be pointing the finger at other people, but Freddie says he's not wrong to do that. I do see it that way, but Brady, that doesn't mean that he's wrong by putting the blame because he said we have to be better or this person has to do this. That's his way of saying that, guys, we're too talented to be in a position where we got to play an extra game to take care of an opponent that we should have closed out in five, and then we give more rest to the Philadelphia 76ers team with a compromised center, Joel Embiid. It's like the old line that George Clooney said in Ocean's Eleven when he got called out by Tess, and he said, that doesn't mean I was wrong. Yeah, I, I disagree. I think Jalen Brown was wrong. Jalen Brown essentially said, you know, Jalen Brown essentially pointed fingers. He basically said that it's other guys' problem, not mine. That that's I'm that's what I'm deducing. And Freddie says, so be it. That's what it takes to win at this time of year. I disagree with that. If you want to call guys out, you do it behind closed doors. If you want to blame guys, you do it behind closed doors. If you want to talk publicly, you put yourself in that category. And I don't think that Jalen Brown did that. I think it was the wrong way of handling things. You know, we talk about sometimes hey, the, the process can be right, but the result can be wrong. Well, you know what? The result can be right, and the process can be wrong too. Jalen Brown might be right in sending a message, but when you send that message the wrong way, you're messing with locker room dynamics and team chemistry, etc. and I'm not a fan of that. Jalen Brown gets up to the podium and says, maybe we shouldn't have been in that position. Yeah, he's probably right. He's definitely right. But take ownership of it. Put yourself in that mix of people that help blow it, and then that's what you say publicly. And then go behind closed doors if you want to mess. If you want to talk to a guy, but don't don't talk. Don't use the media to talk to your teammates. That's not right. I also asked Freddie who he trusts more at the end of games: Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. Right now, I would say Jalen Brown because Jalen Brown is going to have those forays to get into the lane, and he's not just going to settle because he's shown that he has the ability to put the ball on the deck and really punish the defense or also get the step back and then relocate behind the three-point line and get a wide-open shot from the three-point line. But he's also shown the ability that no matter who's guarding him, whether it's a smaller player or a bigger player, that he believes he has an advantage. He's going to use the dribble and he's going to punish the defense. So at this point right now, because we know how athletically gifted and a shot maker that Jason Tatum has been, but more often than not, I think he settles too much for three-pointers, where Jalen Brown is the kind of guy that does not settle, especially when he knows they need a bucket, and he knows how to get it close to the basket. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Jalen Brown is the guy that I trust more to at the moment. I think I just think that Jalen Brown has that killer instinct, and that killer instinct involves what Freddie says, going to the bucket. I, that I agree with. If if the game is on the line right now, I want Jalen Brown with it. I think Jalen Brown is a better three-point shooter. I think Jalen Brown is a better free-throw shooter. I think Jalen Brown gets to the bucket stronger and with more purpose. 
I don't know if you agree with me, 802-585-3026, but that is how I feel. Jalen Brown is the guy that I want. Texter says, what if Jalen Brown is the alpha dog on the Celtics? Man. I don't think that Jalen Brown is the alpha dog. But at the end of games, I think Jalen Brown has the killer instinct. I do not think that Jalen Brown is the best player on the Celtics. I think that is Jason Tatum. But at the end of games, the focus, the discipline, the have to, the want to, the determination, that to me lies with number seven. I think that's fair. Look, I don't want either of them to play anywhere else for a long time. I think the Celtics need both of them. I think they benefit from having both of them. I don't know that either of them by themselves could lead a team to a championship. Together, I think they could be phenomenal, and they've been phenomenal. I think they could continue to be phenomenal. But at the end of games, Jalen Brown right now is my guy. Breaking news on the Bruins front. Patrice Bergeron is going to play today. He is out there skating at uh, in warm-ups. I'm watching the warm-ups right now of the Panthers and the Bruins. Bruins looking to close it out in Game 5. That game will start about 23 minutes from now. Uh, actually, about 33 minutes from now. It's about a 7-10 start or so. So uh, Patrice Bergeron is out there. We know that Bobrovsky is going to be the goalie for the Panthers tonight, not Lyon, who had played so well at least early in the series, but three games to one, Bruins can close it out. And look, if the Bruins need any motivation here, then the Celtics provided it last night. You've seen how hard life can get if you don't close out game five. You've got a chance to close out game five tonight. Bruins need to do it. Look it out on the ice right now, and there's Hall, and there's Bergeron, and there's McAvoy, and there's uh, Marchand, and there we go. And Bergeron skating around. He looks fairly crisp. All the cameras are on him right now. He looks fairly crisp, but he is out there and uh, looks like all, all set to play tonight. He's dressed, so he's playing. I thought he was going to play. I'll be interested in finding out after the season is over what exactly he was dealing with, but we'll see how much ice time he gets. We'll see how much time they need from him, but they can close it out tonight. And obviously, like you do, I hope that they do. All right, I want to move to the Patriots. Tomorrow's going to be a football-heavy day because tomorrow's day one of the NFL draft. But we will uh, get a little bit into the Patriots right now. Patriots brought in Will Levis, the quarterback of Kentucky. They brought him in last week for a what's called a top 30 visit. Basically, just one of the exclusive visits the Patriots get to bring guys in on. They brought in Will Levis, and the Patriots are picking 14th. Albert Breer, the Monday morning quarterback, talking about Levis, Mac Jones, the Patriots in the quarterback position, says this. I do think, though, like the, like one of the things, like you look at the AFC and the makeup of the AFC right now, it's not just where you have to get by one or two guys. If you look at it, Burrow, Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, Lawrence, like Lamar, you're going to have to, there's a chance like for the next point. 10 years, you're going to have to go through three of those guys. Can I ask so a unless you're quick fully question? confident that the guy that you have is going to grow into somebody who can beat three of those guys in a row in a playoff setting, then you owe it to yourself to keep looking for answers. All right, one, I agree with Breer there. The Patriots should be looking at quarterback answers because they don't have that guy. So they should be looking for the next great quarterback. And whether that was Lamar Jackson, whether that's a guy in the draft, whether that is 
someone in the free agent market or a potential trade. As we go forward here, they should be trying to figure out the quarterback position. That's fairly obvious to me. As for Will Levis, do we think the Patriots would actually take Will Levis? 802-585-3026. And I'll just tell you, I don't think that it matters. Like the Patriots like Will Levis, of course. They're not going to take Will Levis. Will Levis is not going to fall to them. Will Levis might go number one overall. Will Levis might go two overall. Will Levis might go three or four overall. He's not falling to 14, so I don't think it matters. And I don't think that the Patriots are going to trade up to try to get Will Levis. So all this talk about, oh, the Patriots brought in Levis, and all this talk about, oh, they like Levis and all that, that's great. I don't think it affects their draft plans at all. They're not going to trade up to three with Arizona to get him. They're not going to trade up to five with Seattle to get him. I don't think they're going to trade up with Vegas at seven, I think, to get him. So I'm not I'm not going to waste my time a lot on this. If Will Levis fell to 14, I think the Patriots could take him. But I, he's never going to. If he's sitting there at eight, are the Patriots going to trade up? No, I don't think so. They didn't trade up. They didn't trade up a couple of years ago when they needed a quarterback. They let Mac fall to them. They could have traded up for Fields. Didn't do it. If they're not going to trade up for Justin Fields or Mac Jones, they're not going to trade up for Will Levis. They're not going to do it. So I don't think it matters. What is more interesting to me in all of this is the fact that we're even having the discussion. The fact that we're even having the discussion proves to me the Patriots don't believe in Mac Jones. I mean, that to me is what's interesting here. That's kind of the issue with the crux of all of this. The fact that they're even looking at someone else shows you that they're not completely happy with Mac. And they shouldn't be completely happy with Mac. They should be wanting better. And maybe better is Mac being better. And maybe better is someone else. But the Patriots can't be happy with the quarterback play they got a season ago. So this whole story to me is less about Will Levis and just more about Mac Jones. The the continued questions around him. Again, I don't think the Patriots will take Will Levis because I don't think he falls there. As for what the Patriots do in the first round, I don't know what they're going to do, but they need to make a pick. They need to make a pick. The New England Patriots have picked number 14. The goal is to not ever be picking in the top half of the draft again. Take advantage of being that high. Take someone who is a difference maker. Do not trade out of the first round. If you want to trade down in the first round and get a pick in the first and a pick in the second, maybe I can be talked into that. But the Patriots need to get a difference maker. They have all kinds of issues. They got issues at defensive back. They got issues at wide receiver. They got issues at offensive line. And they could use a pass rusher and a linebacker too. I would be fine if the Patriots took a wide out. I would be fine if the Patriots took a DB. I would be fine if the Patriots took a tackle. Take somebody, though. I don't want this to be like, hey, we traded out of pick 14, and then, by the way, we also got 33 and 71 out of it. No. Uh, heed my warning, please. Jets got guys. Bills got guys. Dolphins got guys. You don't get guys to compete with their guys. 
The Patriots want to get back to the playoffs. They're fighting an uphill battle right now. On paper, they are worse than Buffalo. They are worse than Miami. They are worse than the Jets. They are worse than Baltimore if they have Lamar Jackson. They are worse than Cincinnati. They are close with Cleveland. They are worse than Jacksonville, I would say, at this point. They're worse than the Chargers. They're worse than than the Chiefs. They're worse than Denver, probably, with Sean Payton. And they might be worse than the Raiders. I don't know yet. They're in the bottom tier of the AFC. They need guys, and guys are not only created through value. Okay? I love value. I love surplus. I love... You know, finding a diamond in the rough. But as Freddie Coleman told us 20 minutes ago, diamonds in the rough are for the fifth and sixth round. They're not for the first round. They're not for trading out of the first round trying to prove how smart you are. Stick in the first round, make a pick, and get a guy. Please, I am begging you. Okay, they took a guard last year in the first round. I hated that. They traded out and took Kyle Duggar a couple of years ago. And look, he's ended up to be good. But trading down to get a Division II safety was not on my bingo card. Stop trying to be unpredictable and do something productive. And something that can be productive right away. Because I'm tired of waiting for the Patriots to get back. Robert Kraft is tired of waiting. Go out and get a guy. It's the Pretty Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Final segment when we come back. So, athletics is going to stay at Northern Vermont University at Johnson and at the Randolph campus of Northern Vermont University. I'm happy about that. Beggars can't be choosers. But I don't know that we're going to end up in a great place as a result of this either. I'll explain why. That's next on DEV. Need to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. If you are looking forward to the Bruins game about 20 minutes from now, here's kind of what we know based on warm-ups. Here's the lines and pairing. Bertuzzi, Bergeron, and Pasternak playing together. Brad Marchand, Charlie Coyle, and Felino on one line also. Hall, Zaka, and Jake DeBrusque on another line. Then uh, Lauko, Nosek, and uh, Garnet Hathaway on the other. Grizzlick and McAvoy a pair. Lindholm and Carlo a pair. Forbor and uh, Orlov a pair with Olmark being the goalie. So it's kind of where we're at right now, kind of what we know right now as we get ready for game five here against the uh, Florida Panthers. Almost said the Carolina Panthers, but didn't. Um, all right, I want to get to this quickly here because it's a local story we've been following both on the news and on this show. So obviously by now you know that at Northern Vermont University, they were going to cut athletics at NVU Johnson, right? They were going to bring them down to basically club sports, and they were going to get rid of sports entirely at uh, the Randolph campus at Vermont Tech. Well, now Mike Smith has come in, former Agency of Human Services guy and used to work here at DEV. He's come in and said, we're going to keep athletics for three years and basically study it and see if it's feasible and see if we can do it. I got to tell you, I don't think – I don't – know that that really is a plan. And look, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I know beggars can't be choosers. I want 
athletics to stay. I think athletics are valuable. I think athletics are a huge part of the campus being. I think they're a huge part of of, of a campus's of a campus's vitalness, vitality. I think athletics can do a lot of good for enrollment numbers and money brought into a to a university. So I'm happy to see athletics staying around, but I don't think that this plan necessarily brings us to a better place. Because look, athletics are going to be around for the next three years at least, and they're going to study their impact, right? Study how feasible they are. Fine. If you are a current sophomore, junior, or senior at NBU Johnson, you're pumped. Man, I get to finish my career. That's awesome. I get to play no matter what. That's great. We fought for this. We won. Excellent. And I am I am thrilled for those people. If you are a student athlete currently at NBU Johnson, round of applause because you get to keep playing, and that's ultimately what matters. But... Let me ask you this. If you are a prospective coach, do you want to take a job that might not be there after three years? If you are a prospective student athlete, do you want to go to a place that might not be there in three years? Because I wouldn't. And that's the problem. I had somebody tell this to me earlier, and I think they're right. Mike Smith just wanted to stop a string of bad news. It's not really a plan. And that feels right to me. That feels like the right way to characterize this. I'm thrilled for the student-athletes that are still there that they get to finish their career. But as the athletic department becomes this lame duck department, I don't know if anything in the next three years can really resurrect it. Because if I'm a coach, am I putting all my eggs in the NVU Johnson basket? Probably not. If I'm a prospective student-athlete, am I going there wondering, yes, I'm going to go and I'm going to give myself my all to this athletic department, and oh, by the way, in three years, my sport might not be there anymore. That's tough. So you know what it feels like to me? It feels like next year we come out and all the teams are basically the same as they are because all the returning athletes are there, but NVU has a hard time bringing in freshmen. And then the next year, those guys that are currently juniors, girls and women that are currently juniors, then they leave. Or currently sophomores, and then they leave. And NBU has a hard time getting freshmen. And it feels like the programs will just kind of bleed themselves out to the point where then we can sit here and say in three or see athletics don't really work. That's kind of what it feels like is going to happen to me. And maybe that's the plan that they want. See, we gave you athletics. We gave you three-year run with it. Now we've proven athletics don't work. That's kind of what it feels like is going to happen to me because what student is really going to go and commit for the fact that their team may not be there in three years? Hey, you can come here for three years, but you might have to transfer your senior year because we're just not sure if you're going to be here. Come here and play soccer. You're guaranteed two years of your career. We don't quite know beyond that. That's where it feels like we're going to me. That they can look at us and say, hey, we tried, but ultimately it doesn't work, and now we got to get rid of it anyways. Now, maybe Mike Smith, I, I don't know Mike Smith. From everything I've heard, he's great, and I certainly don't want to make him look bad. I know we did a lot of great work here at WDEV. Maybe he has the absolute best intentions, but... It feels like in three years we're going to end up potentially at the exact same place we were when they said they were going to cut the programs in the first place. Because you're not going to be able – look, under my plan, 
You need to fill all the rosters. You need 15 basketball players and 25 soccer players and 30 softball players. You got to fill the rosters. Bring in every tuition dollar that you can. Maximize that. Bring in out-of-state kids. That's how you make this thing sustainable. When you start telling kids you're recruiting, hey, we don't know what our future is, well, then I'm just not coming. And then then we can't fill out the rosters, and we're struggling to get numbers. So we're playing basketball with 10 instead of 15, and softball with 17 instead of 30, just like we are now. And that would be a problem. And that would be something that disappoints me. Texter says, I agree with the skepticism about the future, but maybe just the next three years could buy enough time to raise enough money for their endowment fund to continue to support sports. I don't know. Maybe, but I I, I don't think so. I, I don't see it that way. The way you grow this is you go all in. You have a you have a full time coaching staff, you recruit teams to their limit. You fill rosters, you bring in out-of-state kids, more kids paying tuition, more kids paying room and dorm. That is how you do this. But when you have no idea if the program will exist, a lot harder to. And that's my view on that. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Be back at it tomorrow for a full 90 minutes. Go download the podcast channel. Thanks to Freddie. Thank you to uh, Tom Karen. I spoke to him as well. We'll do a lot of draft talk tomorrow. Big day for the Patriots. Get to it then. VEV. Jazz with George Thomas is next.